0: Demons Discuss, take 71, the one with the quorum.
1: Welcome to Demons Discuss, the unofficial podcast about the all-souls universe and the topics that orbit it. Hey, everyone. Just to check in. Hope you all had a happy 4th of July. This is why this episode was delayed, because we had one too. Of course, socially distanced and all that. So before we begin anything, I'm just going to let you know that this episode was recorded back in June. We are in July now, of course. It was right after the racial unrest popped off because of George Floyd's murder. Our save it for the show is dealing with race and issues we have as a country in the U.S., and I'm sure it's prevalent around the world. But from our experience, we're dealing it from a U.S. perspective. And and there's going to be some issues in there that might be uncomfortable to hear listen to it anyway. It's a way more calmed down version of what we did in our Demon Unrest episode in the after show. But I figured I'd pop on and give you a warning. All right. No, it's not that bad. I listened in editing. It is not that bad, but you never know what's going to trigger somebody. So there's that warning and uh, I'll timestamp it in the show notes. And I'll also put links of the things we discussed in that save it for the show. So, on with the show. We're your hosts, Angela, Jean, and Valerie. I am Valerie. With me is Angela and Jean.
2: Hello. Hello, Valerie. Hello, people. Hello. What are we talking about today, Angela? We're talking about the Book of Life, Chapter 3. We have a little meeting in the library to get to. So, let's get to getting. Get to getting. (laughs) (laughs)
1: But before we do all that, I want to thank our patrons who have brought you guys, our listeners, this show because our patrons are our listeners and they believe in us so much. They throw us their cash. So it's cool. Gene, give people the incentive as
0: to why they should become a patron. You should become a patron because you get to listen to our lovely after shows on the off weeks at every level. And as you move up on the levels, swag. Lots of amazing swag. Also, every quarter we have Demon Roulette. And every patron, no matter what the level, goes into the drawing and always wins an excellent prize pack because we're basically extra.
2: We
1: are extra. <laughs> <laughs> Which reminds me we need to do a Demon Roulé, because we are in June. Oh my gosh. Time I is know. Fun.
0: I, know. I, know. I know. Time flies when you're having fun. I
1: don't know. It might be July by the time you guys hear this, but you know, Probably. we're recording in June, so it's fine. It's fine. It's all good. Um, I would also like to add uh, some of our juiciest episodes are on the after show. <laughs> yeah, they are. This would be true. <laughs> Oh, so you know if you're curious go to patreon.com slant Discuss, and you can join us there uh we have six levels but all you need is two bucks and you get the after show so it's a win-win we get shit yeah. you guys get shit it's fine and yeah. i also want to push our fitzio pin because as of this moment they're mostly gone <laughs> oh god um We have our FITZIO enamel pins. And if you don't feel like you can give to Patreon right now and you don't want to commit, make a long-term commitment, and you want to throw something our way, you can buy one of these FITZIO pins. It's a cute enamel pin with a little mask that says FITZIO 2020, and it says underneath, thanks to Angela, 2021, do better.
2: So... (laughs) (laughs) I love them. This whole second quarter of 2020 yes. is like redacted in history. You know, It's like, you know, you know, glamour when they have the do's and don'ts and they put the little black bar across people's eyes, that would be yeah. the second quarter of 2020.
1: Oh my God. For sure.
0: Hopefully not the third as well. And, yeah. and look
2: at it this way. If you're
0: planning on getting together when we're all able to, again, for the next in-person con, hmm. you'll already have your flair started. That's right.
2: Yes. You
1: need your pieces of flair. and. Yeah. The Fizio 2020, it's a great commemorative item. Bit of flair. To let people know, you survived 2020, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Crazy, crazy. Um, So... Let's go into discuss our
2: emails. Who wants to start, guys? I'll start. Okay. I have one okay. from witchy listener Camille. Yay, Camille. Hey, Camille. She says, Hello, demons. My would you rather question is as follows Would you rather live with Philippe and Isabeau at the Bishop House or Sarah and M in the Old Lodge? Thank you for your wonderful quarantine content. You guys never disappoint, Camille. Mm. Okay. So, our choice Philippe and Isabeau for me at the Bishop House.
0: Yeah. Oh, definitely. It, uh, Philippe and the Bishop Ghosts would be hilarious as hell. Right? <laughs> oh, my God. I think that's perfection. I think Isabeau is
1: so fascinated by witches and witchcraft that mm-hmm. she would just try to talk to the house and she'd try to goad the house. I can see her doing all kinds yeah. of
0: mischievous things. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And like I said, Philippe and the Ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And can you imagine if Fleetwood Mac cranks up?
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's funny. I,
2: I, now let's do the flip side. Even though we didn't choose Sarah and Emma at the old lodge, what do you think would happen with Sarah and Emma at the old lodge? It's kind of I don't know. The miss, the element of magic is missing as far as the house, right? I think we'd all learn how to knit.
1: Yeah. I think Sarah would take over a good portion and try to make a still room. Yeah. Imagine her planting a garden in that grand courtyard.
0: (laughs) I I can imagine her taking over the Matthew's gatehouse and having like this, using that nice clean kitchen for her her still room. That'd be excellent. Yeah. Keep it out of the
1: house. And Mm -hmm. she's used to, you know, drafty houses and yeah. I don't know, maybe the ghosts would follow her there. <laughs> but it's not brown. Yeah. Thank you, Camille. Yeah, thanks. That was a good one. That was fun. What do you have, Jean?:
0: I have one from Kit. Imagine imagine my shock when I saw from Kit. (laughs) Hi, ladies. I am new to the podcast and absolutely love you guys already. And I quickly became a patron and writing this email was to Chapter 3. I come from a big family. I'm the youngest of six children on my mom's side and the youngest of two on my dad's. This is relevant information because you can definitely feel the sibling dynamics going on in this chapter. And boy, is it tense. I feel if my family were vampires, this is exactly what would happen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry, Kit. (laughs) this chapter always makes me dislike baldwin but after listening to the podcast i can really see why he's so upset and obviously sensing your father after so many years would be quite upsetting Mm. i just wish he would find was somewhat less annoyed by this his father clearly cared for and loved diana just respect his goddamn wishes it's like they're all arguing over a non-existent will Mm. love a tiny witch kit m.
1: Oh, thank you. Love it. Thank you. And welcome to Discuss Your Dumb Kit. Yay. Yay. Okay. So mine is from Lindsay and she sent several Would You Rather's. So you know what? I'm going to save that for the after show because they were all good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to jump into the meat of the email. And this has been shortened. I'll put the full one in the show notes so the rest of you listeners can see. When I was reading the part where Alan was giving Diana her belongings, I wondered what I would put into a box to represent this time in my life. This shelter in place has been a unique, challenging situation, but I also had some really interesting experiences and have had time to reflect on my life. I think that this could be an interesting exercise for us. If you had to box up a few items that represent your experience during the quarantine shelter in place, what would you choose? My box would consist of a bottle of tequila and a lime, (laughs) (laughs) a stack of magic fantasy novels, yoga pants and a lawn chair. I love you three so much. Listening to your podcast always brightens my day, and I always look forward to hearing what you have to say. Also, I love the barber files. Maybe she should consider doing her own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, sending good vibes your way, Lindsay. Oh, thank you, Lindsay. Thank um, you, Lindsay. Yeah, what would I? My Ugg slippers. <laughs> that would go in yeah, my box. There
2: you go. <laughs> Mine would for sure be. A picture of the family and, like, 95,000 grocery bills. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Amazon printouts. Oh, Oh God.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Amazon Prime.
1: (laughs) Boy, they're making money. (laughs) For
0: sure. Basketball shorts and, gosh, what else? My computer. My laptop. Your laptop. All I'm doing is working from home.
1: Yeah, that's yep. true.
0: Yes, but I don't. Oh, but I didn't have to wear a bra to the office, so that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> hence the basketball shorts. It's too warm. It's been too warm here for yoga pants. No,
1: I don't have that problem. It's never too warm here. It's always, when we get a warm day, that's like an anomaly. So it's yeah. always
2: kind uh, of a, see? it's perpetually spring or fall here. Uh, <laughs> that's, it's never spring or fall here. Yeah. yeah, it's it's cyclical here. Even the week, like today is 60 and by next week it's going to be 80 and then it'll go back down to 60 and it just, it filters through the whole <laughs> gamut of 60 uh, to 80. And yeah. says, she's like, how how can you wear a long sleeve sweatshirt every day I said because Michigan it, yeah it's oh. either going to be cold outside no. or inside <laughs> Which
0: is why we just call it construction season, right? <laughs> That's true. Okay, are we starting the wagon here?
1: We're starting the wagon. Let's sure, it. let's do it.
0: So, when we
1: left off in chapter two, Baldwin had made his uh, grand entrance, <laughs> <laughs> while Diana and Matthew were uh, communicating, shall we say? And some it
0: people was like th- college dorm all over
1: again. <laughs> 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 and you know, some might call that rather rude. Others might call it, well what they expect.
0: <laughs> but, she took the doors off the goddamn room? I mean, <laughs> there's that. Yeah, there's that. You know, when you take the doors off the hinges, you can't have much of an expectation of anything.
2: And that didn't give him any advance warning or advantage like he thought it was going to. No. <laughs> By the way. Yeah, once again, <laughs> Matthew's
0: like not paying
1: attention to shit. Slight miscalculation on his part. So uh, are we surprised? <laughs> no, not at this point. No. Yeah. Well, we open up chapter three and we find ourselves in the De family library. So what'd you guys think when you first open this up? You can go first read this read, whatever. What did you feel like you were entering to when we were in the library and uh, we're meeting these new people? Me thinking if I were Diana, I'd be totally intimidated. Yeah walking into this new space where I don't know any of these people, a lot I mean, of these people. I was people. thrilled
2: that we got to be a fly on the wall, but I got the the vibe of begrudging, like nobody really wanted to be there, but yet everyone yeah. wanted to be there. No.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nobody wanted to miss anything. No, yeah.
2: no.
1: It'd be fun to be a fly on the wall like we readers are, but it would not be fun to actually be there, be there. So eh,
0: actually, I can say it probably would be fun to be there only because I have been in multi-case or multi-case multi-party case hearings and whatnot where the judge and some other counsel are Diana and Baldwin. And it's kind of fun to stand there and watch it just as long as you make sure you don't show too much on your face and maintain right. that resting bitch face and just let them go at it. It is fun. Trust it, me.
2: This though is kind of like being in a Trump press conference where you, you can be <laughs> a, you, you can be an observer, but once you say something, you are you might be fair game to be attacked for your own personal reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, as long as you
0: go into it knowing that, you're fine. Yeah. Before those
1: reporters start raising their hands, I always feel like you need to have your facts straight, everything straight, so you can just boom, 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 and, you know, prepare to get dismissed.
0: Speaking of those press conferences, I think really what happens is before anybody, while they're all like hanging out in that room, before whatever version of C.J. Craig, they have trots up for him. Yeah. Yeah. That whole room has their game plan already. Yeah. Yeah. They know who's going to back up who and who's going to try and say what. So there is that. I think there is a, we're all together in this, in this foxhole mentality.
1: <laughs> I would imagine to be the same in court, right? Back in the days. More or less. Especially yeah. when you,
0: when you get, when, when you've got a bunch of attorneys who know what's going on and are experienced. And you, once you, it's kind of like, as soon as you start to sense that change in the sea, like the scene with uh, Mont St. Michel mm-hmm. and son. Yeah. Yeah we all just kind of like give each other the look and it's like okay we know where this is going to start to go and invariably there's some baby attorney who's going to be a hero and it's just like oh dude you're just going to go down in flames and sure enough it happens every time Right? But
2: it never turns I would think ad hominem where in the press conference it does no it always turns ad you can count on it turning ad hominem in, a press com, in the press conference yeah. and if it doesn't
0: then there's something wrong wow like, okay it's my turn. My turn to throw myself on the, <laughs> in front of the bus today. They probably—it's probably like our our patrons, you know, who's sponsoring. We've got—they've got a list somewhere. Okay, it's your turn to like throw yourself under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, in
1: royal court. Now that I'm thinking of the word court, royal court. Imagine walking into that
2: mess. That's true. It's a great comparison.
1: Ugh.
0: Yeah. I mean, that one of those last scenes we had with Elizabeth and Shadow of Night when they're all kind of. Looking Looking at each other, like, I'm not gonna say
1: <laughs> "You're gonna say anything? I dare you to say something. <laughs> little side bets. I bet you can't say." And anything. I think
0: that's what we're walking into right here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We set the stage nicely. There we did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So here we go. The De Claremont Family Library was bathed in a gentle pre-dawn light that made everything appear in soft focus. The edges of the books, the strong lines of the wooden bookcases that lined the room. The warm golden and blue hues of the Abbasan rug. What could not blunt was my anger. And we're talking about Diana right now. She's saying for three days, I had thought nothing could displace my grief over Emily's death. But three minutes in Baldwin's company had proved me wrong. So we already know her mood here.
0: Mm -hmm. And she's gone and loaded for bear. And this is just not going to. And well, no, so Baldwin
1: summons her. Come in, Diana. We're in her head as she's saying, I looked around the room. We were not the only ones to have been summoned to Baldwin's impromptu meeting. This makes me think, couldn't this meeting be an email, guys? Come
0: on, but but here's the thing what's really funny Mm -hmm. in the description, you know, Diana's headcanon description of him, likening him to Augusta and whatnot, every inch of Baldwin's muscular frame was tossed with anger and banked strength. Where have we heard Banks' strength before. Where? Mount St. Michelle. Oh, as, mm. as Matthew transforms to the Renaissance. Oh, shit. There you go. You think that's on I, I think that was very purposeful. They're more alike than different. Yeah. Okay, so back to
1: Diana mm-hmm. and her thoughts of this could have been an email, guys.
0: Why am I yeah. here? <laughs>
1: <sighs> All those Zoom meetings, they're, they're haunting me. Anyway, I looked around the room. We weren't the only ones that had been summoned to Baldwin's impromptu meeting. Waiting by the fireplace was a waif of a young woman with her, with skin the color of skim milk and black spiky hair. Her eyes were deep gray and enormous fringed with thick lashes. She sniffed the air as though she scented a storm and Matthew says Varen and Varen's like I'm <laughs> like
0: Ooh. and then she turns around and looks at Diana and she's like witch. What's so funny is Diana just totally doesn't judge the book by its cover and she's like yeah there's nothing very terrifying about her she just looks like <laughs> an elf. Yeah. Like yeah. Mm, uh-huh. elves are pretty fucking terrifying if you know the folklore. <laughs> You're reading the wrong books then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Diana, you really haven't been paying attention. And we're off to the boob knives. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Diana's a little touchy here. She's like, it's Diana. And Varen's ignoring her. She's like, I told you there was no way to mistake it. And Matthew wants to know, why are you here, Baldwin? And Baldwin's like, I wasn't aware. I need an invitation to come to my father's house. But as it happens, I came from Venice to see Marcus. Hmm. And the eyes of the two men locked. Imagine my surprise to find you here. Nor did I expect to discover that your mate is now my sister. Philippe died in 1945. So how is it? That I can feel my father's blood vow, Smell it. Hear it. And Matthew's like, yeah, someone can catch you up on the news. Come on, Diana. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I thought these two are just, mm-hmm. they never learned. No.
1: No. I think they like this somewhat.
0: <laughs> because it's you, got yeah. to be.
1: there. There's a part of you that likes this because you keep it going. Anyway. It's that, it's that whole
0: Nasochist side of Matthew.
1: <laughs> So Baldwin says, Neither of you is leaving my sight until I find out how that witch tricked a blood vow from a dead vampire valid okay he hasn't been back briefed he doesn't know what's really going on here so how did you get my dad's blood valve diana i'm still waiting to hear that question and you guys are the only ones that can provide me the answer so let's go hey
0: who does he remind you of here i don't know who could be his dad Philippe, brief me yeah succinctly
1: (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) very good yeah and he did say diana had a gift to tell the story without hemming and hawing and and going everywhere with it versus matthew who Kind of, you know. Anyway, (laughs) Diana says it was no trick. Uh, Baldwin wants to know, was it necromancy then? Some foul resurrection spell? And this is Baldwin's talking from what he knows, you know, what he's Mm -hmm. heard maybe in the congregation over his lifetime maybe. Or what he smelled. Yeah. And then he wants to know, or did you conjure his spirit and force him to give you his vow? Which is a possibility. I mean, if
0: you think about it, I mean, necromancy and communing with spirits are both powers that aren't very typical for witches and he goes there right away. Yeah. Tells me he knows a little bit more than he's necessarily letting on. And he doesn't
1: know what's possible with Diana. He doesn't know why the congregation wants her, so he's assuming she has maybe these powers. So hmm.
2: I hope this stays the same for the TV show. I hope he stays suspicious and demanding answers because we kind of left off, kind of assumed that he was on their side. I hope it opens up just like this.
0: Yeah, I still think they're keeping him way in the dark. Yes,
2: which should piss him off.
1: Diana says, what happened between Philippe and me had nothing to do with my magic and everything to do with his generosity. And she's pretty angry here. Baldwin says, you make it sound as though you knew him. That's impossible. Diana's like, not for a time walker. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and yeah. Baldwin was stunned. A time walker. And uh, Matthew's like, Diane and I have been to the past in 1590 to be exact. We were here at Septour just before Christmas. And Baldwin wants to no, know, you saw Philippe? And Matthew's like, we did. Philippe was all alone that winter. He sent a coin and ordered me home. You know the deal. Come on. <laughs> yeah,
0: you know the drill. <laughs> yep.
1: So Baldwin's doing his little calculations and he says, December, that means we have to endure five more months of Philippe's blood song. And at this point, when I read this, I was like, oh, but why? What? Yeah. What is it about this blood song? No big deal, I thought. Originally, <laughs> apparently it is yeah. a big deal. Mm-hmm. This is Varen that said we have five more months of Philippe's blood song. And Diana wants to know why five months. So I'm thinking here, how much of this blood song is common knowledge to vampires. It must be that they're legends. Now, she goes on and says, our legends tell us this. So none of you have witnessed this, and that's all you have to rely on is the legends. So how could they be so sure that it's five months? Do you know what I mean? Right. Five more months of it. I don't know.
0: Well, the legends say a year and a day, and that's why she's saying five, she did the math. Um, but that's just based on
1: legend. It's not based on seeing it before.
0: Well, maybe Baldwin has seen it before, because don't forget, Goody also knew Recognize Philippe's mark on her, yeah, her head right away. But right. and I'm just thinking, why would Baldwin say, yeah, blah blah blah? If he just says, according to our legends, he's also not tipping his hand that yeah, maybe he has seen he's seen this an before. instance where Philippe's done this before, right?
1: Okay. So according to our legends, a vampire's blood vow sings for a year and a day. All vampires can hear it, but the song is particularly loud and clear to those who carry Philippe's blood in their
2: veins. I th- and I think when we were doing Shadow of Night. We said, Hubbard, when she said, well, I'm a blood sworn daughter of Philippe. He's like, OK. And that we think that's why, because he could hear it as well. Yeah.
1: OK, you're good. Really? <laughs> <Right>. That easy? <laughs> it's that easy? OK. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Diana chimes in. Philippe said he wanted there to be no doubt I was a de Claremont. And Baldwin's like, <sighs> no witch will ever be recognized as a de Claremont. His voice was flat and final, like, mm. (laughs) No way. And then Diana says, I already am. And then she held up her left hand. So she can so everybody can see their wedding ring. Ooh, ah, uh, look at my wedding ring. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew and I are married as well as mated. Your father hosted the ceremony. If Saint Lucien's parish register survived, you will find her wedding took place on the 7th of December in 1590. And Varen says what you will likely find should we go to the village is that a single page has been torn out of the priest's book. "'Veron said under her breath. Ada always covered his tracks. "'Whether you and Matthew are married is of no consequence, "'for Matthew's not a true de Claremont either. "'Mrs. Baldwin, he's merely the child of my father's mate.' Diana's like, what the fuck is going on in this house? That's ridiculous. Philippe considered Matthew his son. Matthew calls you brother and Varen's sister. Yeah. She doesn't know that. No, she doesn't. Because Matthew did kind of a poor job.
0: <laughs> as usual. <laughs> Matthew's not good at informing people as, as to what's expected of them or what's going on. Yeah.
1: You need to school your mate, Matthew. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: okay. And Varen's like, I am not that whelped sister. We share no blame. only a name. Oops. Okay. Thank God for that. Tension in the house. You will find, Diana, that marriage and mating don't count for much with most of the Claremonts. Said a quiet voice with a marked Spanish or Portuguese accent. It came from the mouth of a stranger standing just outside the door. His dark hair and espresso-colored eyes set off his pale golden skin and light shirt.
0: Now, (laughs) this is, yeah. Yeah, you know where I was going. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, there's like an, there's an internal inconsistency here. (laughs) Do you want to explain it before we go on? Yeah, more than pale and he's not Spanish. He's dark-skinned and a slave, according to Philippe, as we'll find out later on. So there's that.
1: I don't know that that's common knowledge, though, because wasn't that out of an excerpt from the book of Le- or from uh, Times Convert? That was
0: the, that was the extra chapter. But then there, there's also some other stuff scattered through Times Convert. Yeah. So I think this just this particular phrase is an internal inconsistency that. Yeah. So uh, I guess audience... See him how no you want. To? Martin is going to get <laughs> I'm <friend>. oh,
1: Sorry, <laughs> or maybe they'll revert back to this version. You don't know. You don't know this is because true. The, the writers could just pick that out and say, "Okay, this is who we're looking for." do You know, yeah. right? So, uh, yeah, slight inconsistency in uh, continuity error, maybe something like that. Yeah.
2: Just a, uh, a quick question, Gene. Mm-hmm. Since you write and you're an author, could that happen? Or you know, you're tr- flesh out your characters more would you feel a need to change? Like, oh, this is now I see who this person is. I wrote them as blah, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. now I see him as this. And even if it applies to skin color, I mean, his other attributes don't really change.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've seen it happen a lot before. And then this case, especially since there's been so much time between book of life and
2: time convert, convert. Yeah. Right. And
0: how it fleshed out. I can see how if Deb started digging more into the reconquista and whatnot, and more about conversos, why it would change. Right.
1: right and maybe she hadn't flushed him out at this point in mm-hmm. her writing process yeah uh but you know even if i flushed him out i i don't know i feel like i would need to make that work or a content editor would need to kick me in the ass and say, mm-hmm. Hey, yes. you know, I don't know. Okay. yeah. yeah. So uh, I just suggest to the audience, uh, you know, whatever you think, go with it. Fine. On TV, yeah. you'll have a whole different picture anyway. Right. <laughs>
0: yeah. And back to what's going on here is like, what the hell is Fernando up to? He's like shit stirring already.
2: Mm hmm. He kind of say, inserts
0: himself into this whole deal.
2: Yeah. I, you know, what? first read, I was welcomed like, Oh, Oh, good. You know, voice of reason. And now I'm kind of put off like him again. You know, like he's inserting himself, like you said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Baldwin
1: says, your presence wasn't requested, Fernando. And Fernando says, as you know, I come when I'm needed, not when I'm called. Fernando bowed slightly in Diana's direction. Fernando Gonsalves, I'm very sorry for your loss. The man's name prickled in Diana's memory. She had heard it somewhere. You're the man Matthew asked to lead the Knights of Lazarus when he gave up the position of Grand Master, And she finally placed him. Fernando Gonsalves was reputed to be one of the Brotherhood's most formidable warriors. Judging by the breadth of his shoulders and his overall fitness, I had no doubt that this was true. And Fernando's like, he did. Like that of all vampires, Fernando's voice was warm and rich, filling the room with otherworldly sounds. But Hugh de Claremont is my mate. Ever since he died alongside the Templars, I had little to do with chivalric orders for even the brave knights lack the courage to keep their promises. Oh, bitter party of one. Here we
0: go. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that right, Baldwin? (laughs) Isn't that right, Baldwin? Hmm. Okay. I think this is part of the at least half dozen issues that they have, according to Deb. Yeah, they've got a whole basket full of bitter between yeah. the two of them.
1: Baldwin says, Are you challenging me? And Fernando's like smiling, Do I need to? <laughs> Shit. I would not have thought you would ignore your father's blood valve, Baldwin. And we have no idea what Philippe wanted from the witch. He might have been trying to learn more about her power or she could have been using magic to coerce him. This is Baldwin. He's like weighing all the options here. Like still no one has told me the story of how Philippe has.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm waiting. (laughs) Fuck. And you would think they would know better because the longer he runs with wild speculation, the worse it's going to be for everybody.
1: Yeah. Just tell him yeah. the story. Tell him what happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> Galloglass never to be silent here. Don't be daft. Auntie. didn't use any magic on Granddad. Whatever. He breathed into the room. Here we go. Somebody else. Uh, and he was as relaxed as if the declaremonts always met at half past four in the morning to discuss urgent business.
0: Oh, okay. Well, they're vampires. I don't think the fact that it's half past four. Yeah, they the don't man- care. Nobody's right. <laughs> <laughs> sleeping anyways.
1: Like this quarantine man call a meeting seven at night fine it's fine nobody's right. doing anything that's what it feels like okay now that Galglass is here i'll leave the declarements to their own devices and fernando nodded to matthew call me if you need me matthew like i got your back boy hmm.
0: yeah it's like why did he pop he popped up like like whack-a-mole to like antagonize baldwin and left it's like how is that helping anything to be honest mm-hmm. oh
1: god the adam sandler movie where this dude just pops up all the fucking time i forgot what movie it is i'll think of it later anyway yeah. <laughs> i'll put it in the show notes. they had a butler that would just pop up and it's like where'd you come from so it's like <laughs> that's fernando <right>? yeah yeah <laughs> OK, so Gallaglass says, we'll be just fine. We're family after all. And Gallaglass blinked innocently at Varon and Baldwin as Fernando departed. As for what Philippe wanted, it's quite simple, uncle. He wanted you to formally acknowledge Diana as his daughter. Asked Varin. And Baldwin's like, oh, really? Yeah, and Varin's like, oh, shit. Oh, damn. (laughs) (laughs) Baldwin wants to know, what did he mean? Uh, Here's Varin. Ada summoned me a few days before he died, Varin said, her voice low and expression miserable. The word "Ada" was unfamiliar, but it was clearly a daughterly endearment. Philippe was worried that you might ignore his blood vow. He made me swear to acknowledge it no matter what. Philippe's oath was private, something between him and me. It doesn't need to be acknowledged, not by you or anyone else. Oh, Diana. This is I Diana. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> Well, she also thinks it was just a matter of generosity, which is like no. Damn. Yeah, I was a little put off by that word too. It wasn't just generosity. Yeah. And no. then she comes to the realization like, like, that it was protection later on. Yeah.
0: Well, it it's the whole it was just his generosity because he thought I was it was kind of a Mary Sue thing to say. Right. Yeah. yeah. They just gave it to me because I'm wonderful. Yeah. Don't you know that yet by And now?
2: you get a blood vow, <laughs> and you get a blood vow, <laughs> and you <laughs> get a blood vow. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> That's and generous. Was, <laughs> right. And it was rather yeah. selfish because she's getting her eyes open here. It, it was more yeah. strategic than anything. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. I was part of the strategy. But he loves me. I'm wonderful.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> 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 she
1: didn't want her memories of Philippe or that moment damaged by Baldwin and Vermin. Well, too late, girl. Too late. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing is more public than adopting a warm blood into a vampire clan. And this is from Varen. She looked at Matthew. Didn't you take the time to teach the witch our vampire customs before you rushed into this forbidden affair? Like Matthew. Come on, man.
0: <laughs> Everybody is emulating Philippe. It's like, didn't you bother to tell her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is like the litany to Matthew. Didn't you bother to tell her? Did you Forget that you
2: part. Her? Well, because... Because it's so common, it's almost becoming like not a Philippe-like trait. Like, that's just how v- people act in society, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Full disclosure. Like, uh, There's people
0: that, <laughs> yeah, readers, all those family members that you think are being unreasonable, it's really not. <laughs> Matthew's the unreasonable one here. And then Diana makes excuses for him.
1: Exactly. But here's the thing, Matthew, this is why I yell at him all the time, although I love him, because <laughs> time was a luxury we didn't have. Excuse me, were you not? <laughs> Were you not back in time and spent a few, several, lots of months back in time? Apparently you had time to make babies a and they got times. They, they got They're a chiding. seven
2: months there? They got a eight chiding months? from Steven saying they were there too long. Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> eight months worth of time which seems like a luxury to me at least to bother explaining to her, you're married into a vampire clan. This is how it works. Mm-hmm.
2: Or at least after that blood vow, the blood vow. By the yeah. way, let me <laughs> give you a little background on what's next. <laughs> I'm <laughs> you. It's
0: like, oh, yeah. Not to mention, they all knew they were going to be dropping dropping back into the Hornet's nest. Stephen warned them. Didn't Goody warn them before they yes. leave as well? Mm-hmm. And
2: Hubbard. And they're like, oh, yeah, whatever. We'll just mosey on back. It's fine. It's well, fine. I do not want to make the car ride uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I know.
0: It was bad enough that you were upset about the sports car.
2: I think
1: that's Diana's problem. And I think this is Matthew's problem. Matthew just wants to make things easy for Diana. Yeah. And it just Mm -hmm. winds up making it harder. And it's just like, it's like, I don't... I I understand Matthew's heart. He doesn't want her to have to worry about these things. He'll take on the burden of the worry. But it's not helping her. Right. It's not. Not at all. From the beginning of our relationship, Isabeau had warned me that I had a lot to learn about vampires. After this conversation, the topic of blood vows was moving to the head of my research agenda. No, you shouldn't have to research this, Diana. Ask Matthew. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, God. All right. But Varen's going to explain it to her. She's like, then let me explain it to you. Before Philippe's blood song fades, one of his full-blooded children must acknowledge it. Unless this happens, you are not truly a de Claremont and no other vampire is obligated to honor you as such.
0: Which also plays into the whole understanding of blood vows to begin with. Mm-hmm. All vampires can hear it and the volume varies, Yep. but it takes a full-blooded child to actually recognize who it belongs to. Yes. There was some debate in the fandom generally in trying to understand the blood blood vows, especially when it came to whether or not Hubbard would have recognized it as Philippe. Right. Because he's from down Isabeau's line, so Mm -hmm. not a full-blooded child. Right. Which would explain why it was kind of like, okay, that explains that what I'm hearing when she says I'm Philippe's daughter. Right. And he accepted it. Sorry, I digress.
1: Yeah, it's fine. It's good. Um, Diana wants to know, is that all? I don't care about vampire honor. Being Matthew's wife is good enough for me. la da Shut up, Diana.
0: Ah! <laughs> Shut up, Diana. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That generosity of his, you just kind of crapped on it. Yeah. Because it's like, well, yeah, he gave me this great gift, but you know, I really don't care. Fuck you.
1: Yeah. Anyway, she says, the more I heard about becoming a Declaremont, the less I liked it. Well, you should have thought of that.
0: Uh uh-huh. A little late now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Okay, if that were true, then my father wouldn't have adopted you. And this is Varin. We will compromise, Baldwin said. Surely Philippe would be satisfied if, when the witch's children are born, their names are listed among my kin on the de Claremont family pedigree. You know, hey, here's my starting offer. Here you go. Now we're negotiating. Mm -hmm. It's good. (laughs) His words sounded magnan, (laughs) magnan. Magnanimous, but I was sure there was some darker purpose to them. Matthew says, My children are not your kin. Matthew's voice sounded like thunder. They are, if Diana's a declaremont, as she claims, Baldwin said with a smile. <laughs> Diana's like, Wait, what pedigree? She needed to back up a step in the argument. Is like, Back up the yeah. bus. Wait a minute. There's a pedigree? Oh my God. What? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here's the explanation to that. The congregation maintains an official pedigree of all vampire families Baldwin said some no longer observe the tradition the de Claremonts do the pedigrees include information about rebirths deaths and the names of mates and their offspring simple enough right yeah okay so Diana's like my hand automatically covered my belly I wanted the congregation to remain unaware of my children for as long as possible based on the wary look in Matthew's eyes he felt the same way Maybe your time walking will be enough to satisfy questions about the blood vow. But only the blackest of magics or infidelity can explain this pregnancy, Baldwin said, relishing in his brother's discomfort. (laughs) The children that cannot be yours, Matthew. Oh, jeez. You understand where Baldwin's coming from. It's like he he had never heard of this shit. What? what? Witches and vampires?
0: Hmm. But then, of course, he did take that little bit of glee and twisting the whole infidelity <laughs> yeah, it's like
2: Matthew's got, which was, I, I thought it was kind of funny. I'm like, ah, maybe Diana's a hoe. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. But this is what you get for not spilling the beans, outlining your yeah. Yeah. past travels. Right. Matthew's a little offended. Diana
1: is carrying my children, Matthew said, his eyes dangerously dark. Impossible, Baldwin said flatly. True, Matthew retorted. If so, they'll be the most hated and the most hunted children the world has ever known. Creatures will be baying for their blood and yours, Baldwin said. And he's not wrong. No,
0: uh, I was going to say here. Here comes a factually aggressive part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Aggressively factual. <laughs> mm.
1: So Diana's thinking to herself, I registers Matthew's sudden departure from my side at the same moment that I heard Baldwin's chair break. When the blur of movement ceased, Matthew stood behind his brother with his arm locked around Baldwin's throat, pressing a knife into the skin over his brother's heart. It's like, whoa, that was quick. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Varen looked down at her boot in amazement. She found nothing but an empty scabbard. She swore. "Eh, Because Matthew had taken your knife. He's (laughs) fast. Damn it. You may be the head of the family, Baldwin, but never forget that I'm its assassin, Matthew growled. And Diana's like, whoa, what? Assassin? And we're like, whoa, what? Assassin? And uh, she tried to hide her confusion as another hidden side of Matthew was brought to light. Scientist, vampire Warrior, spy, prince, and now we add the word assassin. Matthew had told me it was a killer repeatedly, but I had always considered this part and parcel of being a vampire. So the one thing he's disclosed is she doesn't believe.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. These two. (laughs) These two. He he's not he's not factually aggressive though sometimes he's ambiguously factual sometimes yeah.
0: <laughs> He's factually reticent is what he yes. Oh my god
1: I <laughs> almost feel like with Matthew it's like okay you need to interview him have him write down all the questions and give it to Diana so this way she can refer back to her notes
0: be like all oh, right you need a deposition transcript <laughs> is what you need with this guy <laughs>
1: Okay. Matthew had told me he was a killer repeatedly, but I had always considered this part and parcel of being a vampire. I knew he had killed in self-defense in battle and to survive. I never dreamed that Matthew committed murder at his family's behest. And Darren's like,
2: surely you knew this. Come on now. Well really I think you could yeah. you could use the category of battle yeah. loosely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, assassinating somebody, that's part of battle, isn't it?
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a very, very um strategic It's the finishing part. part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, Varen's
1: voice was tinged with malice, her cold eyes studying Diana closely. If Matthew weren't so good at it, one of us would have put him down a long time ago. Okay, that's
0: done. (laughs) Okay. Not only is Yara assassin, he's really good at it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sad we don't get to spend more time with Varen because she sounds like she's fun at Mm -hmm. (laughs) parties. And the part where it's
1: like, we would have put him down a long time ago. What? Yeah, Yeah, that's the part that stung. Yeah. And Matthew, he's got his own little sharp words for Varen. We all have a role in this family, Varen. Matthew's voice dropped with bitterness. Does Ernst know yours, how it began uh, between soft sheets and a man's thighs? Oh, damn. Well... I mean, everybody's pushing everybody's buttons. You know, it's Matthew's turn. Varen moves like lightning. Her fingers bent into lethal claws as she went for Matthew. Those aren't but, even fighting words.
0: No. <laughs> this is, those are stupid words, considering she didn't get together with Ernst until long after you right. know, she was retired.
1: Right. Well, I mean, it's not long for a vampire. so I mean, so he's just bringing up old shit. It's like Varen's like, "Why are you bringing up old shit, asshole?" Yeah, <laughs> why
0: you being a dick?
1: Vampires were fast, but magic was faster. I pushed Varen against the wall, and this is Diana. I pushed Varen against the wall with a blast of witch wind, keeping her away from my husband and Baldwin long enough for Matthew to exact some promise from his brother and release him. <sighs> Thank you, Ma Leone. It was Matthew's usual endearment for when I had done something brave or incredibly stupid. (laughs) He handed me Varen's knife. Hold on to this. Matthew lifted Varen to her feet while Galglass moved closer to stand at my elbow. Well, well there and murmured when she was standing upright again. I see why Ida was drawn to your wife, but I wouldn't have thought you would have the stones for such a woman, Matthew. Oh,
0: damn. Well, considering it's kind of funny because they all bitched about the sisters and it's like, well, Mm -hmm. your wife can hold her her own with us, so Mm -hmm. what you doing here? Right.
1: She was hot. What do you want me to say? It's fine. (laughs) 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 <laughs> Things change, and Varen's like. Apparently, you'll be keeping your promise to Granddad then. And this is Galaglass asking Varen. We'll see, she said cautiously. I have months to decide. Time will pass, but nothing will change. And this is Baldwin recognizing Matthew's wife will have catastrophic consequence. Varen, I honors Ada's wishes while he live. Varen said, I cannot ignore them now that he is dead. You promised, Farron. So she's like, I'll think about it. Come on now. Right. You, you you did promise. We must take comfort from the fact that the congregation is already looking for Matthew and his mate, Baldwin said. Who knows? They might both be dead by December.
0: But you <laughs> notice he didn't say no, they won't recognize her.
1: Yeah. No. <laughs> we might
2: even, We might not even have to do this. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> Scarlett O'Hara syndrome. Think about it. girl. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Once again, he's he's aggressively factual. Mm-hmm. All Matthews spends his time doing is getting pissed about the fact he's being aggressively factual.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Matthews like, don't confuse me with facts, dude. Yeah. <laughs> no, Okay. After giving us a final contemptuous look, Baldwin stalked from the room. Varen stole an apologetic glance at Gal Glass and trailed after him. So, Gal Glass said, that went well. Are you all right, auntie? You're, you've gone a bit shiny. <laughs> the witch wind had blew my disguising spell out of place and she tried to tug it around her again. Given what has happened here this morning, I think you would better keep it on while Baldwin is at home, Gal Glass suggested. Baldwin cannot know of Diana's power. I'd appreciate your help with that, Gal Glass. Fernando's too. Matthew didn't specify what form this assistance would take. Of course, I've been watching over auntie her whole life, Gal Glass said. Matter of fact, I'll not be stopping now. And this is where Diana realizes. At these words, parts of my past I had never understood slid into place like jagged puzzle pieces. As a child, I often felt the creatures watching me, their eyes nudging and tingling and freezing my skin. One had been Peter Knox, my family's enemy, and the same witch who had come to Septour looking for Matthew and me only to kill M. Could another have been this giant bear of a man whom I now love like a brother, but had not even met until we traveled back to the 16th century? Uh, Yes, Diana. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was him. Yep. So... She says, you were watching me? Galgloss is like, yeah, I promised Granddad I'd keep you safe for Matthew's sake. And it's a good thing, too. You are a right hellion, climbing trees, running after bicycles in the street, and heading into the forest without a hint as to you were going. How your parents managed is beyond me. And uh, Diana wants to know, did Daddy know? Uh As a reminder, <laughs> in her head, she's like, my father had met the big Gale in Elizabethan London when he had unexpectedly run into Matthew and me in one of his regular time walks. Even even in modern day Massachusetts, my father would have recognized Gal Glass on sight. The man was unmistakable. So and uh, Gal Glass is like, I did the best not to show myself. And that right there. Yeah, he saw me. Yeah, <laughs> I did my best not to show myself is not a no, <laughs> you
2: know. And he said as much in Shadow of Night, too, that he kind of gave him the knowing I got this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not what I asked Gal Glass did my father know you were watching over me? And Galgloss
1: says, I made sure Stephen saw me just before he and your mother left for Africa that last time. And his voice dropped a little more than a whisper. I thought it might help him to know when the end came, I was nearby. You were such a wee thing. Stephen must have been beside himself with worry, thinking about how long it would be before you were with Matthew. Unbeknownst to Matthew and me, and this is Diana, the bishops and the De Claremonts have been working for years, even centuries, to bring us safe. Together. Philippe, Galglass, my father, Emily, and my mother.
2: So yeah, that's good. First, kinda... first read, I love that. I love tying the mm. little bow. That's my mm-hmm. little package. All tied up.
1: Yep. Thank you, Galglass, Matthew said hoarsely. Like me, he was surprised by this morning's revelations. It's like you guys are the two most clueless
0: creatures. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> okay. <But> anyway. <laughs> no need, Uncle. I did it gladly, Galglass cleared the emotion from his throat and departed. An awkward silence fell. Christ, Matthew said, raking his fingers through his hair. It was the usual sign he had been driven to the end of his patience. And Diana wants to know, what are we going to do? And she's still trying to regain her equilibrium after Baldwin's sudden appearance. Like, whoops. Okay, and here's my favorite part of this chapter. A gentle mm. cough announced a new presence in the room and kept Matthew from responding. I am sorry to interrupt me, Lord. Alain Le Merle, Philippe de Claremont's one-time squire, stood in the doorway of the library. He was holding an ancient coffer with the initials PC, picked out on top in silver studs and a small ledger bound in green buckram. His salt and pepper hair and kind expression was the same when I first met him in 1590. Like Matthew and Galglass, he was a fixed star in my universe
0: of change. And here's the party box. Yay!
1: <laughs> it's like when you get birch box once a month. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Woo-hoo, what is it, 11 And this is Matthew. I have business with Madame de Clermont. Alan replied. Business? Matthew frowned. Can it wait? I'm afraid not," Alan said apologetically. "This is a difficult time, I know, my lord, but Sir Philippe was adamant that Madame de Clermont be given her things as soon as possible." Alan ushered us back to our tower. What I saw in Matthew's death drove the events of the past hour completely from my mind and left me breathless. A small book in brown leather, an embroidered sleeve threat bear with age priceless jewels pearls and diamonds and sapphires a golden arrowhead on a long chain a pair of miniatures their bright surfaces as fresh as the day they were painted letters tied with faded carnation ribbon a silver rat trap tarnished clinging to the fine engraving. A gilded astronomical instrument fit for an emperor. A wooden box carved by a wizard of a branch from a rowan tree. The collection of objects didn't look like much, but they held enormous significance, for they represented the past eight months of our lives.
0: Yeah, the, the luxury of time. They right. Know. Hello.
1: <laughs> Sometimes I feel so mean, but come on now. <laughs> anyway. Yep. So Diana opens the book. Um, Matthew had given it to her as soon as they arrived in the mansion in Woodstock in the autumn of 1590. We all remember this book, but there was a new marking. Manuscrito Consalvis 4890 was inked onto the flyleaf. Someone, Gowglass, no doubt, have removed the first page. Once it had been covered with my tentative attempts to record my name, the blots from the missing leaf had seeped through the page below, but the list I had made of the Elizabethan coins in circulation in 1590 was still legible. I flipped through the rest of the pages, remembering the headache cure I attempted to master in a futile attempt to appear a proper Elizabethan housewife. My diary of daily happenings brought back bittersweet memories of our time with the school of night. I had dedicated a handful of pages, an overview of the 12 signs of the Zodiac, copied down a few more recipes, and a scribbled packing list for our journey to Septour in the back. I heard a gentle chime as past and present rubbed against each other and I spotted the blue and amber threads that were barely visible in the corners of the fireplace.
0: So, and here's time showing up again. Yeah. Diana wants to know, how did you get this? And
1: here's the uh, travels of this book. Master Gallaglass gave it to Dom Fernando a long time ago when he arrived at Septour in May. Fernando asked me to return it to you, Lon explained. It's a miracle anything survived how did you all manage to keep this hidden from me for so many years and this is matthew he picked up the silver rat trap they if you think about it all the shit they had to hide from matthew mm-hmm. oh my
0: god wow matthew was clueless yeah he, that's how this all worked
1: <laughs> i mean <laughs> even if it was in his face he wouldn't know he'd be like huh what yeah you know. oh yeah okay we did what we must, my lord. We waited. We kept silence. We never lost faith that the time would bring Madame de Claremont back to us. A sad smile played in the corner of Alain's mouth. If only Sir Philippe could have lived to see this day. Ah. Oh. And
0: isn't it interesting that Alain echoes the words of the uh, Bishop Ghost?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So Matthew gently says, All right, Diana. Yes, a little bit overwhelmed. Oh, she's always overwhelmed.
0: <laughs> well, she's she's mad at Philippe because she has to be siblings to his other kids. I mean, <laughs> I didn't ask for this. <laughs> she, why, why did he put me in such an impossible situation? Well, that's not very grateful.
1: <laughs> no. And so she's looking at all the other gifts, and um, mm-hmm. Alon explains it was Madame Isabeau who found the miniatures. She scoured the newspapers every day looking for. For traces of you, anomalies that stood out from the rest of the day's events. When Madame Isabeau saw these in auction, she sent Master Marcus to London. It's how he met Mademoiselle Phoebe. All right. The sleeve came from your wedding dress, Matthew. Touch the fragile fabric, tracing the outlines of the cornucopia. The traditional symbol of abundance. I will never forget the sight of you coming down the hill of the village with the torches blazing and the children clearing their way through the snow. I feel like we're just getting a recap of Shadow of Night just because you had it laid down. So, His smile was full of love and a pleased pride. After the wedding, many men in the village offered to pay Madame de (laughs) Claremont... (laughs) Court, should you tire of her? (laughs) And Diana's like, thank you for keeping all these memories for me. And she looked at the desk. It's too easy to think that I somehow imagined everything that we were never really in 1590. This makes that time seem real again. And uh, Alain says, "Sir Philippe thought you might feel that way." Alas, there are two more items that require your attention, Madame de Clermont. And then Alain held out the ledger. A tied string kept it from being open, and a blob of wax sealed the knot on the cover. What's this? <laughs> Here come- you're rich, bitch. That's yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: You know he blew the dust off. As soon as they showed up in yeah. uh, Discovery of Witches, and then Matthew left the seven letters for him And Philippe's studies, like, it's happening. Yes. Yeah Let's go, people, let's go. Yeah. Move out.
1: <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's this? <laughs> Your accounts, madame. Diana's like, I thought Hamish was keeping my finances. He'd left piles of documents for me, all of them awaiting my signature. Mr. Osborne took charge of your marriage settlement from my lord. These are the funds you receive from Sir Philippe. Oh, there's more. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Alon's attention lingered for a moment on her forehead where Philippe had placed his blood to claim me his, as his daughter. And, you know, if I were Diana, I'd be like, uh, I'd be looking at all the vampires. Why didn't you guys tell me? What? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You guys know Matthew's bad at explaining things you guys could have told me. But anyway. Okay, so she cracks the seal, opens the covers. The little account book had been rebound periodically when more pages were required. The first entries were made on thick 16th century paper and dated from the year 1591. One accounted for the deposit of the dowry that Philippe had provided when I married Matthew. 20,000 Venetian zucchini? 30,000 silver Reich dollar? Every subsequent investment of that money, such as the rollover of any interest paid on the funds and the houses and the lands purchased with the proceeds, was meticulously accounted for in Alon's neat hand. I flipped through the final pages of the book. Last entry made on sparkling white bond. It was dated 4 July 2010, the day we had arrived back at Septour. And her eyes popped at the amount indicated in the assets column. Like, whoa (laughs) and Alon's like I'm sorry it's not more what (laughs) I invested your money as if as I did my own but the more lucrative therefore riskier opportunities would have required Sir Baldwin's approval and of course he could not know of your existence so you do understand you're only ridiculously rich you're not crazy ridiculously rich so anyway (laughs) um, it's more than I can imagine possessing Alon Matthew had settled a substantial amount of property on me when he drew up our marriage agreement, but this was a vast sum. Philippe had wanted me to have financial independence like
2: the rest of the Claremont women. Helen apparently did invest in Amazon and Apple. Yeah. <laughs> yes,
1: apparently. I mean, it didn't pay dividends, but it's cool. And Apple. Probably Apple as well. Yeah. I mean, if you're thinking long term, Amazon's the way to go, you
2: know? Yeah. yeah.
1: Um <laughs> And as I had learned this morning, my father-in-law, whether dead or alive, got what he wanted. I put the ledger down and aside. Thank you. It was my pleasure, Alan said with a bow. He drew something from his pocket. Finally, Sir Philippe instructed me to give this to you. Alan handed me an envelope made from cheap thin stock. My name was in the front. Though the poor adhesive had long since dried up, the envelope had been sealed with a swirl of black and red wax. An ancient coin was embedded in it. Philippe's special signal. Sir Philippe worked on this letter for an over an hour. He made me read it back to him when he finished to be sure that it captured what he wanted to say. And Matthew wanted to know when. And Alain said the day he died. So, whew. The shaking handwriting belonged to someone too old or infirm to hold a pen properly. It was a vivid reminder of how much Philippe had suffered. I trace my name. When my fingertips reach the fatal letter, I drag them across the surface of the envelope pulling at the letters so they unraveled. First, there was a pool of black on the envelope and then the ink resolved into an image of a man's face. It was still beautiful, though ravaged with pain and marred by a deep, empty socket where once a tawny eye had shimmered with intelligence and humor. And Diana says, you didn't tell me the Nazis had blinded him. I knew that my father-in-law had been tortured, but I had never imagined his captors had inflicted this much damage. I studied the other wounds on Philippe's face. Mercifully, there weren't enough letters in my name to draw a detailed portrait. I touched my father-in-law's cheek gently and the image dissolved, leaving an in stain on the envelope. With a flick of my fingers, the stain lifted into a small black tornado. When the whirling stopped, the letters dropped back down into their proper place. Sir Philippe often spoke with you about his troubles, Madame Claremont. Alain continued, s- continued softly when the pain was very bad. and Matthew's like, spoke with her? <laughs> Almost every day, Alain said with a nod, he would bid me to send everyone from the That part of the chateau for fear someone would overhear. Madame de Claremont brought. Sir Philippe comfort when no one else could. So do we think she
0: time walked back to this? I thought Deb said yeah, no. but I don't think it's happened yet. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She, But I mean, that's what we're concluding from this, that at some point in her life, she went back and time walked to talk to him, to yeah. comfort him. Okay. I turned the envelope over, tracing the raised markings on the ancient silver coin. Philippe expected his coins to be returned to him in person. How can I if he's dead? Perhaps the answer is inside, Matthew suggested. I slid my finger under the Envelope seal, freeing the coin from the wax. I carefully removed the fragile sheet of paper, which crackled ominously as it was unfolded. Philippe's faint scent of bay figs rosemary tickled my nose. Looking down at the paper, I was grateful for my expertise in deciphering difficult handwriting. After a close look, I began to read the letter aloud. Diana, do not let the ghosts of the past steal the joy from the future. Thank you for holding my hand. You can let go now. Your father in blood and vow. Philippe. This coin is for the family. Amen. Tell Matthew I will see you safe on the other side. So
2: what'd you guys think of that? I love the whole thing. I thought it was informative. I thought it was beautifully written. It's very proper ode to Philippe as well.
0: Yeah. As I sit here right now, I mean, it answers the question that everyone keeps asking Deb about Diana's immortality. It's not happening. Philippe said so. (laughs) She's got a (laughs) return. Yeah. Yeah. And I laugh because reading it this time, my lawyer brain was chuckling because it's like there there's a thing in the law called the rule against perpetuities mm-hmm. and it has to do with inheritance and basically says that you can't draft a trust or a bequest that reaches beyond what they call a life in being plus 21 years which basically means someone who is alive at the time of your death there, it has to. Everything has to vest in their lifetime mm-hmm. plus twenty one years. Anything that controls the money or controls the property longer than that is not enforceable. So it's more like the rule against Philippe, <laughs> right?
1: Oh my God, that explains so much. I was thinking about my inherited IRA from my mom. Uh
2: huh. Twenty one years, exactly. Yep. Wow. You're a life and
1: being. See, everything is so clear. Thank you, Jean. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome.
2: <laughs> and, and now that you say that, Jean, it's almost like Philippe didn't know that back in 1590. Because remember how surprised he was? Oh, I'm not immortal after all. And now it's mm-hmm. like he yeah. had a moment of clarity. And Diana, you're not going to be either. Yeah.
0: Yep. Even being the goddess's instrument didn't save him from mm-hmm. death. It's not going to save her either. So Philippe
1: does expect me to return his coin. He would be sitting on the banks of the River Styx waiting for Sharon's boat to bring me across. Perhaps Emily waited with him and my parents too i close my eyes hoping to block out the painful images what did he mean thank you for holding my hand matthew asks and diana says i promised him he wouldn't be alone in the dark times that i'd be there with him and her eyes brim with tears like mine are now okay you know Mm -hmm. I'm not crying. You guys are. Or (laughs) anyway. How can I have no memory of doing so? I don't know, my love, but somehow you managed to keep your promise. Matthew leaned down and kissed me. He looked over my shoulder, and Philippe made sure he got his last word as usual. What do you mean? (laughs) And she's like wiping her cheeks. That was an Angela. What do you mean? (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) How can this be? (laughs) He left written proof that he freely and gladly wanted you for his daughter. Ah, Matthew's long white fingers touched the page. That is why Sir Philippe wanted Madame de Clermont to have these as soon as possible, Alain admitted. Diana's like, I don't understand. Between the jewels, your dowry, and this letter, it will be impossible for any of Philippe's children or even the congregation to suggest he was somehow forced to bestow a blood vow on you, Matthew explained. And Alon chimes in, Sir Philippe knew his children very well. He often foresaw their future as easily as any witch.
0: (laughs) I want Alan to write a book. (laughs) What he, I mean, he knows more than Mart, I think. Yeah. And the
1: institutional memory of these, the servant class, it's like, wow,
0: fascinating.
1: Yeah. And speaking of memories, Alon's like, yeah, I'll leave you to your memories. Okay, bye. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Matthew's like, thank you, Alon. All right, Moncourt, of course, she murmured, staring at the desk. The past was strewn across it, and a clear future was nowhere to be found. I'm going upstairs to change. It won't be long, Matthew said, giving me a kiss, and then we can go down for breakfast. Diana says, take your time, mustering what she had hoped was a genuine smile. Once Matthew was gone, she reached for the golden arrowhead that Philippe gave her to wear at her wedding. Okay, and this is her thinking. I slipped its chain over my head, the arrowhead's point nestled between my breasts, its edges too soft and worn to nick my skin. I felt a squirming sensation in the pocket of my jeans and drew a clutch of silk ribbons. My weaver's cords had come with me from the past, and unlike the sleeve from my wedding dress or the faded silk that bound my letters, these strands were fresh and shiny. They had twined and danced around my wrists and one another like a handful of brightly colored snakes merging into new colors for a moment before separating into their original strands and hues. The cords snaked up my arms and warmed their way through my hair as if they were looking for something. I pulled them free and tucked the silks away. I was supposed to be the weaver, but would I ever comprehend the tangled web that Philippe de Claremont had been spinning when he made me his blood-sworn daughter? Hmm.
2: Yeah, so much for just simple generosity. Because I'm fabulous, yeah. <laughs> right? I have a quick insertion. So in the the arc, it says it's talking about the arrowhead. Its weight was comforting, and the metal warmed quickly to my touch. Was that in the version you just read as well, or no?
1: Uh, let me see here. I felt the squirming sensation in the pocket of my jeans. It would be right clutch. before
2: I slipped its chain over my head. Yeah, it's there. Yeah, where is it? Okay. Wait,
1: wait, wait, wait. Uh, I reach, once Matthew was gone, I reached for the golden arrowhead that Philippe gave me to wear at my wedding. Its weight was comforting yep. and the metal warmed quickly to my touch. Yep.
2: Okay. I just yep. would have found it interesting had they omitted that. like They yeah, didn't want no. to do too much foreshadowing. No, nope, mm-hmm. I kept
1: it. I just skipped it. <laughs> Otherwise we'd be here for four hours yeah. if I read the whole chapter.
2: Anyway, mm-hmm. um, anything to add before we gavel this sucker? What do you think the cords are looking for Um, at this point? Well, to me, they seem to be activated when she touched the arrowhead.
1: Yeah, and their cords are tied to her magic, and yeah. the magic recognized something in that arrowhead.
0: And what did it, re- I mean, and then it winds up into her hair it's almost like trying to touch touch a part of her memory or something yeah is what i was kind of thinking but i'd be wigging out i'm like what the fuck yeah it's like (laughs) oh it's just like colorful snakes it's like no that's not the thing to tell me (laughs) Ah. anyway any last things to add
2: to this chapter before we end it right here anybody else have anything else to say about Fernando, no, no. I did want to add just about your crown chakra. That's where your it's access to your higher states and consciousness. Ah, so. see,
1: look at that,
2: huh? I knew, something, something, I knew one of you would have the answer.
1: <laughs> something to <laughs> think about. Look at that. Yeah. All right. So going once, going twice. So we're all done. We're done with this chakra. Yay. Okay. So let's go on to housekeeping. Yay. Housekeeping this time is brought to us by Zoe Gibson.
0: Thank you, Zoe. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you, Zoe. Housekeeping.
2: All right. Who wants to start with their housekeeping? I'll start. I have housekeeping from Camille. Yay, Yay, Camille. She's back. She's our perfect little bookend. Uh, she says to the lovely demons, "I wanted to thank you. I wanted to thank you for always being a distraction, a set of virtual friends, and a safe place to laugh about all souls-related things and non-all souls-related things. Like you guys, my heart is broken by what this year has turned out to be and the horrors this country was founded upon and continues to authorize. As a black listener, I understand your feelings of anger and grief. I will admit that I often suffer from feeling of helplessness. It can be hard to acknowledge those feelings and not let it consume you or ruin your day, week, month. Please." Take all the time you guys need to grieve and to feel your pain. Be with your families and loved ones. Be with each other and be with yourselves. If receiving comforts comfort helps, then I hope you are receiving it. This is much bigger than the All Souls community, but don't forget this community is made up of individuals and all the individuals I've come across frequently have been warm, open-minded and caring people. On the whole, that's who we are. Anyways, I'm sorry this email is novel length. I truly care about you guys and I want you to take care of yourselves. Your witchy listener, Camille. Thank
0: you, Camille. Thank you, Camille. I know. We worry about all you, too. We
2: do.
1: yeah, just to put us on the timeline, uh, this is the next episode after we had recorded our demon unrest on our after show. So I, I believe this letter came in before we did that. So uh, mm-hmm. you guys probably will hear a couple you will hear another episodes on the public show before you, <laughs> you get to this one. So we don't know. You probably won't get to this till July. We don't know the state of the world as of July. We're just, you know, time walkers, no time walkers. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) We're just, you know, kind of floating through time and space. So we appreciated that letter, Camille. It came very timely. It kind of, uh, I will say I opened up that email and it unspiraled me in that moment where I Mm -hmm. was like this, this right here. And I shared it with the girls and we're like this. This is why we do this. Yeah.
0: So,
2: hey, you know. (laughs) I just feel (laughs) enveloped in goodness from that.
0: Yes. 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 Ah, uh, Jean, what do you have? I have one from Olivia Gibson. Thank you, Olivia. Yay! Dear Angela, Jean, and Valerie. I know you avoid politics in your podcast, and I'm not going to advocate any change because you are keeping me sane in this insane world of ours, but I just needed to say that I am so distressed by what's going on. When Barack Obama walked on that onto that stage on election night, I wept for joy. When Trump was elected, I wept with pain. Mm. I knew it was going to be bad, but never this bad. Mm. A friend wrote, racism is a toxic stew of ignorance, hatred, and fear. There is no place for it, and we should challenge it wherever we see it. Mm. People need to vote for anti-racist leaders in all parts of our society. All racism is evil, whether it is on the left or the right of politics. We have to stop tolerating it or excusing it or treating it as none of our business. Racism is everyone's business. Enough now. Please stay safe. All my love and support. Olivia.
1: Thank you, Olivia. Again, you, we're Olivia.
0: recording this uh, yes.
1: after that unrest, so you might feel a little bit disjointed. It's like, hey, you guys were fine last yes. episode. It's mid-June <laughs> right now, so this, yeah. is thi- this is finally <laughs> for when we're recording it. When we're recording. Thank you, Olivia. Yes, thank you, Olivia. And I have some snail mail. Yay! What? <laughs> <Day>. <laughs> This is from our darling Patricia! Yay! Yay. And uh, this came to us. She wrote this on the 2nd of June. So I think prior to the unrest. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Dear Delicious Demon Dames, okay, so these cards have been sitting around in my mind for about four months, but I did not want to appear (laughs) stalkerish. I don't think of you as stalkerish, okay? Not at all. It was a comment I made on the after show about, you know, when I send out packages, I send my actual address and I'm like, "Eh, what if if one of these people are crazy? I don't know. (laughs) Anyway. Since you have mentioned pink drinks, a Starbucks mug collection and I forget what Jean likes, but I wanted to get you all a little cheer. goodness knows we need it you mm-hmm. all made my weeks just a little more humorous and you should be appreciated hugs Patricia and included in this card she sent us some Starbucks cards and that was so wonderful that was so
0: generous and wonderful and yes perfect
1: Thank you Patricia and I shall get some pink drinks with your card, my dear mm-hmm. <laughs> And Angela's and Jean's are on the way and I owed them some other stuff because everything comes to my address and I'm like, oh, I just put in a <laughs> pile for Angela and Jean. But I did finally send everything owed to Angela and Jean. So theirs are on their way. Yes. Yeah, this is mid-June. You're probably listening in July, but this is mid-June. So this is what's going on. Yeah, that's it. So save it for the show. And this is carrying along the same vein of let's do better people. The topic is All Souls and Especially Timely. Okay. This was brought to us by Leah Tidro. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. Thank you, Leah.
2: Save it for the show. Save it for the show. Guys, save it for the show.
1: So, Jean, I'm going to go ahead and let you open up this topic and we'll chime in as we feel. As
0: the ally in the group. <laughs> as the ally in the group. I mean, this is All Souls in this moment in history that we're living. It's so relevant and so current in a way because it's about acceptance. Yes. It's about equality. It's about acceptance. It's not about tolerating. It's not about all of us. It's about accepting people for who they are regardless of their skin color, their wealth, their education. Everyone has something to contribute and everyone is important. I mean, basically it's about setting aside your privilege, this trilogy. Mm -hmm. And if you think it's anything but that, you need to reread. Yeah. Simple as that. And if you can't get on board with it, maybe you're not in the right fandom. I don't know. People don't want
1: to think that they have racism in their heart, but we all do a little bit. We all do. We, we all do. do.
0: It's it's casual and it's ingrained and I mean, the most important word that's come up recently is systemic. When the country is foreign it and generations are steeped in it, even if you don't think you're being racist in your comment and, and, and I, I think the word, best way to put it is sugarcoating it. Mm-hmm. All you can do is try not to be and keep working on trying not to be racist and being conscious of it. There's no shame in always trying. I mean, mm-hmm. we didn't, if we didn't get here because Any one of us made a conscious decision. Hey, I think. Well, some people have, but we're we're not talking about overt or overt. Yeah, most of us don't realize what we're doing. I mean, it's as simple as referring to something as a good versus bad neighborhood. Mm -hmm. There, there's. We were talking about it offline. That there's all kinds of coded words that we use from the ignorance. I mean, and it's mostly from a place of privileged ignorance Mm -hmm. that we don't realize what we're saying when we use those words. And I think the hardest thing and also the easiest thing to do Hmm. is think about what we say before we say it. It may cause some discomfort, but this isn't a, as an ally, it's not about my comfort at all. It's about me being empathetic and trying to provide comfort to somebody else. Mm
2: -hmm. And not to use supportive language with a but. Mm -hmm. Yes. I agree with that, but do you agree or you don't agree? Yeah. Like it shouldn't be a condition. Right.
0: Yeah. In the law, we call that... objection non responsive <laughs> right <laughs> it's a yes or no question <laughs> the problem with and
1: i've noticed this with friends that do this and they don't realize they do it problem is it's like i'm woke i need you to i need you to see that i'm woke mhm but yet you say things like, oh, you know, I I know my neighborhood is mostly white, but it's the school systems you see. You know, I want my kids to go to the best schools. Why are the best schools
0: in white at, neighborhoods? And what right. in
1: white neighborhoods? Why? You have to think about that. Mm-hmm. That's systemic. So I don't want to hang around all white people, but, you but. know, my kids, it's all about my kids. They need to be in a good neighborhood so we can get the best no, school they don't. system. You
0: can, you can live in a mixed neighborhood and send them to Catholic school. <laughs> right.
1: But you understand things like that. Yeah. When, when I hear them, I'm like, oh, okay. So you wanted your kids to go to the good school. The unspoken thing you just said. I want my kids to go to the majority white school. That's, that's what I hear. Yes. And that to someone like me is like, okay, I know where you're coming from. You're trying to be a good person. You're trying to be a good citizen and you don't realize you're saying these or when you have to qualify your response, when you're saying, I'm not racist, but mm-hmm. this is some racist shit's about to come out of your mouth.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> You know, it's like the no offense primer. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. And another thing I cannot stand, and it's happened to me several times when I've pointed these things out, because after a while, people of color get really fucking tired of explaining shit to people.
0: It's not your job to be
1: be my teacher. Right. I don't mind being your teacher, but don't feel like I'm obligated to be your teacher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like injustices. It's like, oh, it's fine because, you know, we already have the civil rights. You guys are equal. Now, right? It's cool. Right. I don't have to think about this anymore. But yet what American classrooms are not teaching, uh, you'd be amazed how many people didn't know about the Tulsa massacre. I didn't. Not until Watchmen came out. Right. And for those of you who don't know, black people decided when there was a little bit of white flight leaving when black people were moving into this area in Tulsa, Oklahoma, they called it Black Wall Street. And People of color were thriving. Black people were thriving. They were making their own money. They had their own businesses. They were getting a place of power. Someone decided to bomb this area after a while and wipe all these people out because they did not want these people to have the power they were starting to have. And so that just puts us back in our place, right? These are things that American history, people who that wrote the textbooks for history decide to leave out. Why didn't we mm-hmm. hear about that? Uh it's the same way the Vietnam War was not covered in American history. It should no. be. No. Not, <laughs> even, <laughs> in co- not American even in my history, college. Right. Native American history. Why mm-hmm. not? Why not? I mean, I don't know. I don't know how it is now. It's obvious I went to school in the 70s and 80s, but I the closest war worse. the closest war to me was the Vietnam War and nobody was talking about it.
0: Why not? Well, they didn't consider it history. They didn't consider it history yet for yeah. us, but I don't think Devin and Ace didn't cover it, did they?
1: No, no, nor the Korean War, nor, no. They heard
0: about World War
1: II. That's what uh, Yeah, I about. think
0: World War II is as far up as, um, I took a reconstruction to modern day, like, history survey class in college. And I think we got up as far as World War II.
2: Give me a couple of years. I'll report back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Also,
1: another thing I notice when I point things out to my friends is the weaponization of tears. <laughs> um, Jean and Angela can both attest. I'm pretty direct. I feel like Angela is a little more direct sometimes.
0: <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> it's her Libra.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she is very direct. I'm very direct with my friends when they say things like they don't know is racist. They don't feel it's racist, but it's racist. Yeah. You know, and when I point these things out, uh, especially from a couple of my girlfriends, tears. It's like I, I don't feel safe in this conversation. No, you don't feel comfortable in this conversation. You're perfectly safe. I'm no. not threatening you. You're perfectly safe but you don't feel comfortable and you want to go back to your comfort.
0: Yeah. And we can't and you have don't, you that. Don't want it. Well, and you want <laughs> the teary eyed ones want to pri- prioritize their feelings over your feelings. I was just telling you my truth. but. Yeah.
1: And so from my point of view, why bother? Because it's a waste of my energy. Do you know? And this is where I give up. And this is where An unknowing person who says these racist things and they don't know it's racist. Like, Gene, you brought up what we were talking about before. Uh, I bought this house, but it's in a bad neighborhood. But if you said, Was it a black neighborhood? They're surely eager to say, yeah, it's a black neighborhood, but, you know, I have to buy a gun. Uh, Why do you have to buy a gun? Really? (laughs) (laughs) Why? Because I don't feel safe. Why don't you feel safe? And then if you dig deeper and ask these questions, a lot of times they don't know why
0: they don't feel safe. It's like or whether there's a reason to feel unsafe to be
1: honest. Have your neighbors threatened you? Have you been robbed?
0: This this is interesting because this we had a conversation in, in a totally unrelated group and we ended up talking about redlining, both okay. insurance redlining and mortgage redlining. Mm-hmm. And especially with the insurance redlining, it go, all goes back to that bad neighborhood equals black neighborhood, especially living in the Detroit area. What would mm-hmm. happen is, is that Insurance companies would redline, well, most of Detroit, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, um, which were all primarily minority because that, those were all considered bad neighborhoods. Mm. But the truth of the matter is, in some of those areas, the actual crime statistics did not support the surcharges and the higher premiums for things like automotive insurance and homeowners insurance and renters insurance. Yeah. But, you know, people were just being charged that because it was Detroit. Yeah. Same thing happened in some neighborhoods in Lansing. And it's like, and to be honest with you, Lansing's kind of like, oh, that's the ghetto. Like, Mm. really? No. Yeah. (laughs) No, no. You're just using that pejorative term to say this is where the black folks live over here. That's the bad part of town. Yeah. Kind of thing. And insurance practices would support that. And same thing would happen with mortgages. It'd be higher interest rates, harder to get a mortgage in these neighborhoods. And they would argue that it's like, well, you know, there's a higher risk uh, foreclosure and this and that. And the other thing And it's like, no, this statistics didn't necessarily bear any of that out. Right. Oh, and by the way, that was in like a romance authors group. We were talking about that. <laughs> right. Wow. Well. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's all a coded language where when you dig all the way down into it it's like no minority it's th- this all boils down to the fact that this touches on minority individuals lives. Yeah. Black and you know, these are black and brown people, so we can do we can do that. Yeah. I have also had a friend tell me
1: that well, you know, I feel comfortable around black people. It's just when I'm walking by myself at night and And then I'm like, okay, what? What are you saying? (laughs) You know, elaborate, please. Tell me. Tell me more. (laughs) Explain to me these feelings. (laughs) Right. Well, I have to walk, you know, I have to walk through this neighborhood and there's a lot of liquor stores. And that, to me, means black people are there because... (laughs)
0: So fucking ignorant.
1: <laughs> That's well because uh, liquor stores. Where do they thrive on the corner of black neighborhoods?
0: You haven't been to Texas. They they thrive on the border lines with dry with dry cities, right? <laughs> well, and we're really not. white runn. <laughs> 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 That's true, but like in all those <laughs> Baptists are running over the running over the border to get their beer. Well, I'm talking about like areas like no,
2: Maryland I know, I know. and Delaware yeah, and I was stuff like say, that. Yeah. Wisconsin, where I'm from, the, the whole state is a liquor store. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, you got your Bevmo, which was okay to go into, right? Well, yeah, but that's you a have your box. little corner, that's like
0: K- Kmart liquor.
1: Yeah, but then you have your corner stores, right? So it's like okay. In, I have in to- Michigan,
0: we call them party stores, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, and let, let, let's add one more level of racism that would come into play in Michigan, most of them are owned by folks of Middle Eastern descent. So, yeah, you've got that little veneer over it when you're talking about this Mm -hmm. incidents in Michigan.
1: And then, you know. And it's not just black and white. It's Asian, too. There was one lady who was complimenting me on my nails. I do my own nails. So whatever. It's mm-hmm. like, yes, mm-hmm, I did those. But she's like, oh, at least you don't have to go into those stores where people don't speak my language and everything like that. And I, I don't know if they're talking about me. And I'm like, oh, okay, oh God, so who's
0: that comedian? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, she, she's hilarious. She does, she's, she's a black, I think it's a black gal. Uh-huh. And she does this whole routine about like, the racist lady in the uh, Asian nail salon. I mean, it's very pointed, but it's also very funny. <laughs> but it's exactly the situation situation you're talking
1: about. Yeah. I'll have but, to find I mean, it and she, put it in the
0: show notes. She was
1: seriously telling me that she found a nail salon where everybody speaks English. And that was a good thing. And I'm like, okay. But why wouldn't you go into an Asian nail salon when most of them... And there is a history behind this. And I'm one of the mm-hmm. rare, weird people that looked it up. The reason why there are so many Asians in the nail industry is because of Tippi Hedren. Oh, she, I think I read that.
0: Was it a New York Times article?
1: Yeah. I um, remember this. Tippy Hedren, she was in Vietnam and uh, she was doing USO tours and she used to get her nails done by this one particular lady and she does she did such a wonderful job she brought her she's like I will pay you a lot of money I'll bring you back to states and I will want to fund your shop and I want to do this and she actually put out the money for mm-hmm. uh, a nail school and the Vietnamese lady was like I can run a class for people of my descent and we can spread this we can open our own businesses we can do mm-hmm. this and Tippy's like yes let's do this so i mean it was war torn vietnam yeah <laughs> so it was an it, it was Something that she felt she was helping and she was bringing these people over, giving them a skill, a much wanted skill, because people in the U.S. like getting their nails done. Right. Yeah. And it spread and families would come over and start up businesses, save all their money, the land of the free. Right. And you always hear about people immigrating to make a better life. And that's what they did. So, yeah, you can thank Tippy Hedron for that. <laughs> 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 you know, I mean, little simple stories. If you knew the
2: background and why, maybe you would open your eyes. And- your, your story just reminded me like, Don't try to show support for one group at the cost of another group. Exactly. Yes, exactly.
1: And we all have prejudices. Sure. Based on experiences. And you have to put that in check. I had to check myself, matter of fact, Mm -hmm. at work. And I apologize to everybody, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, I I will put myself out there. We had uh, something was on TV and some guy had said something really ignorant on uh, one of the news channels. He, He just said something ignorant. And I'm like, of course, he's a white guy. They have no fucking clue. And then I had to check myself because I'm in a room with all white guys. Oops. And I'm like, you know, I would expect somebody to be sensitive to me. So I went to everybody and I apologize, I apologize, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way and it came out that way and I was just talking about general privilege and I pointed it out and I included you in that. And most of them are like, we don't care, whatever, because these people, these white men, they don't experience racism Mm -hmm. or sexism Mm -hmm. as much as so, you know, maybe they don't recognize it as much. But I felt I needed to apologize to set the example. So when they say something fucked up, they would apologize to me. Do you know what I mean? I Mm -hmm, want I want that kind of culture. Teach by example. Yeah. Yeah. So and these are all young men in the military. And, you know, they're still teachable. They're still teachable. So I'm like, I want to apologize to you. I, I I don't have that in my heart. And I was wrong for saying that. So they appreciate it, but they're like, eh, no big deal, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. There's my prejudice right there. <laughs>
0: White men, and I'm married to one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay, I'm married to one. Yeah. And, and <laughs> right. You, you are the reverse. Of, you have the reverse of the, uh, Karen, the, the lovely argument so many Karens trot out about, well, but I have people my are my family. Yeah. Yeah, or, but yeah. my husband's black. Yeah, and then you don't, you have
1: no idea. My mom's perfect example, and I said that in that yeah. after show. You're my right. mom mm-hmm. had no clue of what, me my sister or even my father experienced you can't there's no way no and i imagine these young white men impressionable young white men felt attacked well i mean after 10 years of that of people of me like me going off and belittling their experiences eventually these people are going to feel attacked yes every time they hear it and they're going to get defensive Mm -hmm. that's just my line. I'm saying we all have prejudice. Some are worse than others. Some are systemic because white men, they don't suffer systemic prejudice or biases. They, they just don't. The world is kind of set for them.
2: Right. I mean, there's prejudice mm-hmm. within own races and own cultures and own societies. Like mm-hmm. we we're talking, you know, lighter skin versus darker skin Mexican. There's mm-hmm. prejudice even within. So
1: I brought this up and I, I kind of asked Jean's permission to bring this up because it opened my eyes and I don't know how much it would help you guys. Robin D'Angelo, I went to her talk in Seattle when she first brought out the book, White Fragility. And I'm actually going to read it because I didn't think the book was for me, but I support the offer. Since I was at the book signing, I went ahead and bought it. And it's been sitting on my shelf because I'm like, I'm not a fragile white person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I I will interject right here. Any of our listeners who have an academic account, Mm -hmm. uh, it is my understanding that the book, which originated from a journal piece. Yeah. Uh, it's still, if you've got a, a, an academic account, you can still like pick up the original essay online through the journal that published it. Oh. Set up an account. And frankly, uh, I've got a friend who read, I've read the essay. My friends read both the book and the essay. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to read a lot of different authors within this scope. If if you're doing like the down and dirty, I got to um, educate myself. <laughs> I got to educate myself. Go and you can get to the essay. Read the essay that gives you more time to get into Dr. Kendi's work with how to be an anti-racist and uh, his history piece that came before it, which is actually still free on uh, Spotify. Right. So look, for look for the essay. It's probably about a third of the length and it has all of the meat. Yeah. That you need to know.
1: Well, the thing I took away from that talk is the coded language mm-hmm. that people use. It's like, I have people of color in my family. That doesn't apply to me. I'm not, I, this, you I can't, can't be like, I that. can't be like that. I don't see color, which is another thing. And I want to explain why that is so hurtful, because if you don't see color, then you don't see me in my experiences and everything I bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And that's just, you know, one point. It's like...
0: It uh, strips you of a, a very important part of hu- your humanity. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And it's funny, you know, all my life I've been told, oh, your hair is so thick. I wish I had hair like you. Oh, your skin's so olive. I wish I had skin like you. I wish I tan so easily like you. Not meant to be offensive. But when the rubber hits the road... No, you, you don't. Do, <laughs> you do see. You do see me, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. with dark skin and dark
1: hair. Yeah, you, you do. And that's another thing... Ms. D'Angelo said, she said, you know, you don't want to be part of the system, but secretly you do. You benefit from all these privileges you have. And the only thing you don't want to deal with is the discomfort of knowing or the guilt of knowing that you benefit from these privileges. Mm -hmm. And it's like, or another thing she said is like, uh, you keep trying to prove that you're woke. The moment you do that, Any person of color is going to look at you and say, nah.
0: (laughs) Nah, bro. Nah, you're not really. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah. And the whole term woke annoys me only because... It it implies you're done mm-hmm. that you've completed the process and and from what I'm learning and reading and understanding, it's not something you can ever be done with. You're going to be a work in progress forever, and you have to kind of commit to that. And I know that's a lot. Mm-hmm. I know and everybody that's a thinks lot. I'm going to read these books and it's going to cure everything, and we can all. Move mm-hmm. down to our post-racial utopia down the road. And that's not how it's going to end. People Cause... honestly thought it ended with Barack
1: Obama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> no, no. And another thing that is huge, huge, and it's a marker for me because I remember the news reporting eh, maybe 10 years ago, the last census, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The census Mm -hmm. study, and they did the study, they said in about 40 years, white people are going to be the majority minority. And I feel like that alarmed a lot of fucking people. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I don't know that it was meant to alarm you, but you have to think about all the images that people know from, you know, it's like, oh, I can't be a minority. And but I think there's a fear also. It's like, what if they do to us what we did to them? Yeah.
0: Here, Here's the other thing, too. Mm-hmm. For a certain segment of the population, mm-hmm. that's basically the only privilege they have. They're they're white men. It was set up
1: that way yep. from, from the time of slavery. What they call mm-hmm. those guys uh, the when they brought the Irish over. Oh god. It was these guys and the slaves when they were the potato eaters? Uh no. How I I forgot what they were. They were I don't know. I'll put it in the show notes once I figure it out. <laughs> yeah. But I I do remember this and there was a point where these people the the, the Irish and the slaves they, they were
0: indentured the indentured servants yeah.
1: yeah that's what it is the
0: indentured and the scots were also shipped over as indentured servants at, during colonial times yes yes the ja- jacobites yes there you go which has something to do with that other fandom we won't talk about right <laughs> so
1: at one point the rich white guys the rich guys in charge were like Oh, they're starting to work together, the slaves and these other people. We need to pay these guys. They went and paid mm-hmm. uh the indentured servants
0: mm-hmm.
1: and let them know, hey, you have a place at our table. We're paying you. We're still not going to pay the slaves. So all of a sudden they got lifted up and you're setting these two groups against each other so they can't bond mm-hmm. and go against you. Eesh, that's... Mad genius, mad crazy, mad evil. Evil. It's evil. (laughs) Just let's go there. It's self preservative. It really Mm -hmm. is because power will always want to maintain power.
2: I mean, a, an important distinction too between indentured service service and slavery. Slavery is not by choice. Indentured mm-hmm. servant, you could do it by choice. Yeah. You might be, it might be a form of punishment, but you might be doing it to get to another land, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, that wasn't the case for people stolen from their villages.
0: No. No. Well, also again, it's, it's kind of awful. The fact is the indentured servitude indentured servants could blend in.
2: It's it's mm-hmm. right back with with Philippe's issue with Fernando. Yeah. And you you could give you could gain freedom and even a plot of land through yeah. indentured service.
1: Yeah, it's like when you're all done with this, this is what we're going to give you. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like how the military set up with, right now with our volunteer military. Okay, you're going to give Did us you do this four years. We're going to give you a GI Bill. We're going to house you. We're going to feed you for the four years. You do. I mean, that's a good deal for someone who's poor and out of luck and. Do you know? So, yeah, I'll stick with this. I'll put up with whatever you have to do. But when I'm done, I have this to my name.
0: And an education
1: and an education. But do you know, for the black men of World War Two who fought alongside the white people, they didn't get that. They weren't afforded the GI Bill. So when people came back from the war and now people are using their GI bills and they're getting educated and mm-hmm. they're they're buying their, you know, middle class house, you know, the middle class is what really boomed in the 50s. But what happened to the black soldiers that did the same thing? They, they weren't. went
0: back to sharecropping down south. Yeah. <sighs> this sucks. <laughs> we can talk about this all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this sucks. We, we, we can. probably will come back to it again, but.
1: And how we can compare it is if you think about Sarah and her subtle little digs towards demons saying, yeah, demons, they might have some sight, but you you can't worry about it. You you know, it's not reliable. Well, Matthew,
0: Matthew in episode two of the show. Yeah. Still want to junk punch him for that. Yeah.
1: Where he's like, oh, (laughs) they're there. They're there, Hamish. It's like, oh, we need this book because, you know, it's important to all of us and, Matthew's like, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, little subtle digs that creatures had against each other. And yeah, f-
0: there's a lot of coded language in in All Souls. <laughs> between creatures, if between you think Between about
1: creatures, it. for sure.
0: <gasps> yeah, they need a little bit of uh, Robin D'Angelo in their lives, too.
1: Another good example I can just put out from uh, recent. Um, when the protesters, was it in Michigan? Yeah. Oh, the jackasses
0: with their guns.
1: Yeah. They show up because they didn't want to wear a mask. They wanted haircuts. So they decided to, you know, stand in front of the state, state house and storm the state house and be in the cops faces. Yeah. And our president thought it was a great idea. Make them a deal. They're good people. They're wonderful people. Yeah. Yeah. Great people. Great people. Great people. When this unrest happened and the looting started, they're animals, they're thugs. Thug is also a coded word. Just like urban, when you're describing uh, an urban area, you mean an area with a lot of black people that's coded.
0: Well, I now to be fair, mm-hmm. in the 90s, a lot of the radio stations normalized that usage for Urban, you know, urban music was uh, '90s R&B and black, mm-hmm. mostly black artists. So yeah,
1: because that was the lesser of the evil that were they yeah. were calling it before. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. This is true. <laughs> so progressively, we are getting better.
0: Yeah, but-, but there's it's still coded language. Does that mean I have to? And I'm not doing. It's kind of a facetious and kind of not. But does that mean I have to throw out my copy of Thug Kitchen, dude? Keep that. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's fucking awesome. It's a great cookbook. Well, it's like the N-word, right? Yeah, Um,
1: Black people use it, and I don't agree with it. Uh, My father never agreed. David Chappelle
0: deployed it yesterday in a very powerful way. Yeah.
1: But do you know what? They have taken that word over, and they can call each other that if they want to. But Um, nobody else should be using it. Nobody ever. Don't. Don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, that. A lot of black people take on these labels they're given, and they turn it into something they own. You take yeah. ownership of it, then it's not so scary. Yeah, I'm that thug. What do you yeah. want now? And then, you know, oh, shit.
0: Thug life. Well, I, I still laugh about the thug life uh, <laughs> meme with Queen Elizabeth driving me. <laughs> right, right. Like, I didn't choose the thug yeah. life, that thug life chose, chose me. me. <laughs>
1: right. But it's all in the way you use it, too. Um, these thugs he put it in all caps in his tweet these thugs that's just a dog whistle for those crazy people who were just brandishing guns
0: Yep. (laughs) so the boogaloo boys or is it the bugaloo boys i I don't know when i think of the bugaloo's i think of that ridiculous live action sid and marty croft uh kids show (laughs) (laughs) right
1: oh and those pallets of bricks that were being suspiciously left in front deployed? of... Deployed? Uh, I yes. like to use the
0: word de- deployed. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, there's a lot going on there. Okay, so Robin D'Angelo was one thing I wanted to point you to and I will read that book. I will commit myself to reading that book because... um Me being a light skinned black person, a mixed person, I've kind of had a foot in both worlds. So maybe people feel comfortable saying shit to you that they shouldn't be. That they shouldn't be, right? But there's some things that maybe I have said in the past that I didn't mean anything by it. Or so I need to check my own self. So I will read the white fragility. Um, Another set of words that are used uh, lazy, reckless, criminal shit like that those are things you I need like to... reckless I, I revel in being reckless sometimes. right <laughs> so you know just when well-meaning white people say things like mm-hmm. that it's like ugh. you know they're just being lazy they need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps they need to seriously welfare queen right oh that was uh Ronald Reagan's right. doing
0: that was a real pejorative <laughs> yeah
1: Yeah, that was big.
0: Though the funniest thing was, statistically, it was most of the people that were uh, prosecuted for welfare fraud were white. Still are. FYI.
1: Still are. And why are amphetamines, methamphetamines and um, opioids, why is that the sudden focus now? Because
0: that's something that poor white people use, right? And middle, well... I was going to say the opioids are—it's a very middle class, middle class. Yeah, it's a very suburban problem,
1: right? And meth is the poor white people thing, yeah. Versus crack in the eighties and nineties.
0: Well, we're still blaming the CIA for that, yeah.
1: (laughs) So okay, so there's that. Also, Jane Elliott. For those of you who are not familiar with Jane Elliott, she's hard to take. So I will start you off with the white fragility that I'm going to read along with you. But Jane Elliott, she will open your eyes. I will put a couple of interviews in the show notes in case you're interested. So um, like Olivia said, we normally don't do politics, but this is so ingrained. This is humanity. It's not politics. It's humanity. So that's why we decided to bring this up as kind of our, now that we have calmed down from our demon unrest, <laughs> this is kind of up calmer version it was
0: it was a fuck bomb free
1: yeah so anything else
0: to add guys Mm -hmm. oh yes but not today not today (laughs) to be continued
1: also you can tie this into our empathy talk because it is all empathy you need to put yourself in other people's shoes and see where we're going with this and if you feel attacked
0: good maybe is that wrong for me to say think about think about why you feel attacked yeah you shouldn't feel attacked. And I will say this just personally, from my own perspective, mm-hmm. I grew up in a lily, lily white middle class suburb of Detroit and was most of my days raised in a casually racist Community, which is not so casual anymore, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and did and said and acted in very racist ways for a lot of my years, and I see what, why, and where, and how it's wrong, and have committed to not do it anymore. It's disconfitting an, to admit to yourself that you're racist when you think you've been uh, a good person in your life and treated people well your whole life,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but you can be all of those things at the same time and still be a racist. And admitting that is the hardest part of this whole journey and striving to just be a good person and recognize people for their journeys and their experiences and realize that not everyone had the same lily white suburban Brady Bunch experience that you did. And just because they did not have that experience makes them a bad or a lesser person. Mm hmm true it's it's yeah if you want if if you're discomfited by any of this my message box is always open if you need somebody to to talk to about it mm. just buzz me
1: i'm going to ask you a question yeah when did you start seeing these things
0: in yourself when did i start seeing these things in myself probably yeah. in the last 7 or 8 years so it's, i mean it's you, like I said, you th- you think you're you think you're doing all the right things and you're treating everyone right. Yeah. And yeah, the subtle stuff, the subtle stuff that that you've done your whole life. Not like you said, the code words and the things like that. And it's probably been even longer than that because I had the only black employee in the office as my secretary when I was working in Las Vegas. Mm. And that really opened my eyes a lot because i i had some black classmates in and this net and but honestly in college and in law school it was probably less than 10% and yeah. i we all, i mean we were all friends it, but and but that was also back in the day when it was more like i don't see color and you yeah. didn't realize and i think that was the biggest thing when i realized that you know saying things like i don't see color is a bad thing right that was my biggest revelation hmm. and that's when i really that that was when i really started to change but you know having michelle who i'm still a friend with to this day and seeing how some of the other folks in the in the firm i mean they look she was she was the quote-unquote token oh well we've got a black employee we've got a great program it's like no you've got a really good employee who you ended up driving out because human your resources man- yeah. <laughs> your human resources manager treated her like the black employee yeah which yeah. was funny because she was the lesbian employee <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, it was it was a regular it was a regular stew over there and then of course we had a couple of managing partners that were Mormon that didn't help things either. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's tough to see it in yourself when you do yeah. it. And I've done it. I've said some things where it's like or when a white friend would say to me, "But you're not like them."
0: And I would take pride and in it. And I that. was guilty of saying things like that all the time, thinking that yeah. that you know, you, you when you don't know better, you don't do better. Yeah. And it's
1: like, and I would take pride in that. I was like, that's right. I'm not like them.
0: Yeah. And it's fucked step- up. <laughs> and
2: it's, and it takes stepping out of your bubble to see that, to see too. that. Yeah, I'm that like- and that's, that's just it. Mm-hmm. I can say that about myself. I mean, I grew up, uh, south side of Milwaukee, which is primarily white. The closer you get to the airport, say- it's white. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's I going to say, south, Milwaukee maybe- is pretty much white. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 well, you were not German. No, not- so that was a problem. No, n- the north side of Milwaukee is predominantly black. The middle between north and south is Hispanic. I grew up on the south-south side, which is all white. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh, I went to private schools with all white people. Mm -hmm. Went to private high school with all white people. There was Mm -hmm. one black person. It wasn't until I got to college. And and, mind you, because I went to uh, private schools, I grew up thinking everyone was Roman Catholic, white and Roman Catholic. Wow.
0: When I got out of that bubble. Our suburb was like that, too. It's like I finally got to
2: high school and realized not everybody in Trenton was Catholic. Yeah. It wasn't till college that I realized and it was funny because you meet other people and they're like, Oh, your name's Fabian, you must be Italian. You mm. must then that, that therefore that means you must be Catholic. You know, it's like everyone tries to label and you know, but you're exposed to more because there's obviously mm-hmm. a diverse population, especially in Madison. And I would say it wasn't until recently and definitely with this particular uprising that I, I now call it out for what it is. You know, when I was telling Brad, I was talking to Brad about when I was refused service in Kentucky and Mm -hmm. Harlow said, what, what happened? So I explained the story to her that I walked in just like us in Cardiff, Mm -hmm. no Mm -hmm. tables available, even though there were tables available. I said, I'd sit at the sushi bar. No, there's no room there. She's like, why? She didn't, it didn't even dawn on her. She's like, why did they do that? I said, I didn't even sugarcoat. I'm like, because the color of my skin, why else Mm -hmm. would it be? It wasn't because I have long hair. It wasn't because I'm a woman. It wasn't, I mean, and she's like, oh, and she was shocked by it. Yeah. But now I'm starting to just recently... Say it for what it is. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You have to. You have to. And people will accuse you. Oh, you're race baiting. You're doing this. You're doing that. You're playing that. the race card. You're playing the race card. Dude, what else is it then? Right.
0: <laughs> Do you know? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Speaking of which, we started watching, since I never saw the whole thing, mm-hmm. in this last week, we started watching People versus O.J. Simpson. Yeah. And given what's happened in the last month, mm-hmm. watching that now... As mm-hmm. opposed to when it came out two years ago,
1: it's a lot a more in perspective,
0: right? Different perspective, and yeah. I think anybody who's got Netflix and is looking for something to watch will rewatch it with your blinders open because it's kind of it's wow. Because I had to explain to Al, Al didn't even really understand how Rod, what Rodney, how Rodney King played into all that. Oh yeah. Was... Well, he was also finishing up his residency, so he wasn't paying a hell of a lot of attention to what was going on. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: I mean, after a while, like, okay, with the riots that happened the first two, three days with this, and a lot of it was Mm -hmm. provocateurs, you know, people wanting to start a race riot or whatever. Mm
0: -hmm. And what was like, the probably the good and the bad thing about Facebook is Facebook in this instance, at least for me, did a lot of good because I'm stumbled upon the female pastor of Holy Trinity Lutheran that's right in that neighborhood where Mm -hmm. you could basically see the police station they set on fire from the corner of their parish. Yeah, She walked around that whole neighborhood Mm -hmm. with a Facebook Live and just just to show what was going on. You could very clearly, you know, the whole, oh, well, they're burning down their own neighborhoods and their own stores and da-da-da-da-da, and Mm -hmm. there really wasn't a lot of that going on.
1: I will tell you this. It was though. Fox News from uh, the black perspective. Mm-hmm. Whatever black perspective I have, I felt good. I was like, "Oh, they're burning shit down. Maybe they'll pay attention. Pay attention now. this time." Yeah,
0: and it's like, "Oh, they shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, those stores are insured." It's terrible that people died, but why? Are, but it's like, if you're ever rating property damage above a human life, you mm-hmm. really need to reevaluate your priorities.
1: Well, uh, something I saw which really stuck with me. It's like when people would say, It's terrible that George Floyd died. But, but, yeah. Why are they doing this? When it should be, It's terrible that shit burned down. But why are the police killing black people? That's how it should be. That's exactly how it should
0: be. I don't know. I don't have. uh, There's a lot to say. There's a lot to add. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this is all about. But why are police killing our own citizens? Why? Uh, The eight forty six.
1: The Chappelle, I will put a link to that, too, because he made that free, open and available for everybody.
0: And be warned, the language is salty. The language is salty, but uh, you can't blame it's, the man. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it was like going to church. If church, you, know, yeah. you can get around the fact that church has a lot of N-words and F-words. But yeah,
1: I love Dave Chappelle. He is a funny ass man. And anybody who watched the Chappelle show and enjoyed it, you, you can understand why. Yeah. This was not a comedy set. No. This was an airing of his grief and pain. And it should be all of our grief and pain. That's it. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes, too, if you guys are interested. And, you know, if we lose listeners because of this,
0: bye. Yeah. Bye. This is our hearts. All right. Anything else to add? No. I think that was our last word for the day, too. Our last
1: thought. Yeah. We'll come back and say goodbye after this break, guys. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. You can contact us, send us your thoughts, email us at demonsdiscuss at gmail.com, leave us a voicemail at 360-519-7836, by the way, your carrier rates apply here, or leave one for free on SpeakPipe, Speakpipe speakpipe.com, Slant demonsdiscuss. Now, if you can't remember any of that, go to go.demonsdiscuss.com, Slant Contact, and All that information will be there. You can also become a discusser there. Fill out the form and bam, you're a discusser. And the link to join our Facebook group is there too. Visit our main site, DemonsDomain.com. And if you really feel like deep diving, go to visit.demonsdomain.com slant master post. And you can read interviews, geek out with weekly geeks about All Souls Universe. Read about the characters. Keep that geek flag flying, guys. Do you like what we do? Help us fund what we do. Go to Patreon.com slant demons discuss. Make sure you follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Demons Discuss. If you're liking what you're hearing and you want to tell the world about it, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We love them. We read
2: them. It's wonderful. Also, it keeps Angela alive, and we need her around, okay? Keep Angela alive! I'm cleansed and exhausted all over again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. Thank God we have a whole bunch of this or that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, we sure do. We sure do.
1: Okay, guys. So we're going to head on to the after show. We'll say goodbye to you here now. Be good creatures. Yes. Demon kiss. Love you all. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.